Hello, and welcome to Maine Golf Talk. We are your hosts, Zach Zonlo and Henry Fall. In these podcasts, we'll be discussing what makes Maine Golf so special. We'll be sharing our own experiences and knowledge as both players and coaches. We'll also branch out to discuss hot topics in the game and chat with special guests to hear their stories. All to keep you in the know and help you improve your game. Let's get into today's podcast. Welcome to another episode of Maine Golf Talk. We are joined by golf course designer Brad Booth. Brad is known by Mainers for his design work on the ledges, Spring Meadow, the Meadows, and his renovation at Samoset, along with the Bay Club in Massachusetts. Brad, welcome to Maine Golf Talk, and how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, Zach. I hope you two are doing well as well during this uh, interesting time. So uh, hopefully golf will open up at some point in time. Yeah, let's, let's hope so. I think we're all itching to get out there and play. Mm, yeah. So, uh, Brad, you know, tell us, how did you get into the game? Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm originally from Pennsylvania, although I've been in Maine for 40 years, but it still doesn't make me a Mainer, as everyone knows. Um, I grew up working on golf course. First, I was shagging balls for the pro uh, when I was 12 years old, uh, you know, pre, you know, teenage labor laws. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and then I, uh, then I worked at the course where, uh, in my hometown in Pennsylvania and uh, worked out on the course maintenance and worked my way into the pro shop and, and uh, got in the apprentice program back in the uh, early 70s. And uh, it took a turn from there, though. Uh, went off on a little different path. Um, as far as getting into golf design, I didn't even know it was a real thing, to be quite honest with you, when I was younger. Although when I was in junior high, I had a friend remind me that I used to pretend design golf courses and in study hall, we'd pass those back and forth. And uh, years later, when he saw, he was in Florida now, years later when he saw that I was in the business, he said, hey, I have one of your original designs that he kept in the cap. So, um, uh, so I really didn't know it was a profession. Uh, you know, I knew there were people that did it, but I didn't know it was something that you could actually pursue. Um, and I was probably, I was in my, uh, you know, my mid-30s when I finally decided to give it a go or hang a shingle. I did, I did, I had an undergraduate degree in planning, land planning, uh, and I did coursework at Harvard Graduate School of Design. No degree, just some work that I did in a professional development stuff. Uh, and I was silly enough to hang a shingle and think somebody would hire me. Um, and they did. <laughs> so, uh, so I was very fortunate. I got a good opportunity. The ledges was actually my first, uh, well, I shouldn't say my first job. I had a couple of little jobs where I might, you know, reroute or realign a hole or a few bunkers or something like that. But that was the first one that I, uh, full project that I did. And from there, um, the timing was good because the golf boom was in full swing, um, in the early nineties. And, um, uh, I was fortunate to have some opportunity and I don't think a lot of, there's probably a lot of capable people that could, could do this, uh, or would like to do it. I'm sure there aren't many that do or can, but, uh, there's just not a lot of opportunity as you can well imagine. 
to do it. And I, I was just fortunate to have one and it kind of built upon uh, that. So you mentioned, you know, ledges being one of your first designs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, can you walk us through how you landed that job and kind of your work with, you know, designing it? I mean, there's some great holes out there. And did you Thank have you. like a plan before or did you kind of just work around and? Uh, no, there's a process. Uh, how I got the job is that I, um, I was fortunate enough to have Jeff Cornish mentor me. Uh, for whatever reason, he took a liking to me and was uh, willing to help. And um, he's just a wonderful guy. And um, there was a, um, a fellow in York, Pat Rushlow, who was a custom home builder who liked golf and um, got a hold of this land and dreamed about doing a golf course. And um, and he um, spoke to a couple of people and spoke to me and and uh, with one caveat, he would hire me as long as Jeff would review my work, which was okay. And Jeff was more than willing to do that. So um, as far as the process, it, it, it takes a long time, as you may have heard, to get to actually go through a design and permitting process before you actually do dirt. Um, and, you know, there's a number of people that are involved in that, you know, civil engineers, land planners, biologists, you know, fish and wildlife, you know, specialists and that kind of stuff. There's a whole lot to do. Um, I think the fastest I ever got a project permitted was just under three years. That's before construction. So it's, it's pretty significant process to, to deal with, rightfully so. You know, because it is a lot, very large amount of land that, that you're doing some planning and significant, uh, significant change to usually, not always, but usually. So um, that's how, how that, uh, you know, that kind of evolved for the first project. Um, there were, you know, there were some good engineers that worked with and, and the civil engineers specifically. Uh, and, um, you know, the permitting process has multi levels. Uh, both federal, state, and local, uh, and that's on the technical end. On the how you how I would start a project is I would I would obviously walk the site to see if you know if I even felt that it was uh, has the ability to sustain a golf course to have a golf course both spatially and physically and. Um, and a lot of that is just gut feel stuff, you know, when you're out there. But you're usually looking at, you know, how the, the, the lot of land is arranged. You know, unusual shapes in the lots can be, can be difficult to work around, you know, when you're trying to route a golf, golf course through it. And uh, after kind of having foot to ground, um, you know, I, I say, yeah, yeah, this this might be able to work. We get a we get a, a full topo map. We really need that, which has all the specific information on that, um, you know, the topography, the vegetation, the orientation, you know, wetlands, any other significant areas. And from there, then it's a then it's a bunch of more times out on the site, walking around and um, kind of assessing what the potential is and see what you know see where the golf holes you know present themselves the the next step is to do what i call a stick rooting and that's just simply a center line rooting and in that time we're taking um 
you know, or taking an assessment of how it could root on the land, taking advantage of what the topography provides and the vegetation provides and, the, you know, the, where the rising and setting suns are and prevailing winds and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but also there's some, um, a, a bunch of safety issues to be concerned with and then how all the holes connect and everything. So it's basically a very, why I call it a stick rooting is it just is a center line. But when you're doing that, and I'll go through, God only knows how many, you know, stick routings I go through before I get to one. And then sometimes they blend together. And, uh, and then, um, then once you have that set, then you start fleshing it out, you know, then you start finding the features that work, you know, where, you know, how your T arrangement works. And, and you're always changing when you're going through this process too. You're finding and discovering things that might be a little more interesting or whatever. Uh, so you flesh it out and, and then you come up with a full rooting plan, which is, you know, shapes of fairways, tees, greens, you know, where the bunkers are, where maybe water features are, uh, where natural features that you want to emphasize may, may happen. And the ledges has a lot of hard ground, as you probably know, you know, I mean, there's a lot of rock around there. It's called the ledges for a reason. Um, and... So that gives you the rooting. And then I start playing with the engineers and everything. You know, what is permittable? What can we do? You know, and then we have a little bit of a battle that goes back and forth, you know, about that uh, drainage. Uh, once we get to a rooting that's set that we think maybe we could submit to all the agencies and get reviews. And then in the meantime, we are talking to the agencies and talking about preliminarily where we're going and that type of thing. Uh, so then I get into the, to the nuts and bolts, you know, I'll be doing green plans, um, you know, grading plans, um, drainage, uh, which you never totally figure out because it's an immense, you know, piece of property. So it's drainage, drainage, drainage. And I'm sure you guys see that every spring, you know, so, uh, so that's kind of the, the process of, of getting to a layout. Uh, and once it's permitted, then, the challenge for the owners is to fund it and, and start building, you know, picking contractors and building. And really, um, during the construction phase of the process, uh, there's a lot of what I call the hand-waving stuff. Because uh, you can't know enough about a site. You can't know everything about a site. And when it starts to open up and it starts to appear, you know, there are some very talented people on machines, you know, shapers and, and great excavator operators that just are you know, you couldn't live without them because you don't, you can't have a lot of grade stakes getting in the way when you're out there because you're making, you're making, you know, real curvilinear landforms. You aren't making parking lots. You aren't. So, um, you know, there's an awful lot of hand waving going on and a lot of interpretation. And then well, what do you think of this and that and that kind of stuff. But they, but on the greens particularly, we do have a green design which has elevations in the tenth and with a full drainage plan and that kind of stuff. Um, again, all subject to change, and uh, and then uh, and then there's the task for uh, the superintendents and everything to get online and get it grown in. So it takes a lot of time, but it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, it, the the best thing is when it does open up and it seems that people seem to be enjoying themselves. That's I mean, that's the, that's the real wonderful feeling about it at that point. So. so when you, when you first walk the land at the ledges and, you know, you get up to the top there and you're looking over the Piscataqua river uh, bridge there, yeah. um, you know, what's that feeling like? Are you, you must be excited thinking about 
all the opportunities in front of you as far as the golf course is concerned. But then you realize, wow, I still have a few years left before I see anything. Yeah. Uh, it's a, yeah, it has, it has its times of excitement, a lot of excitement. And what's really exciting is when you start to see the landforms coming together and, uh, and the views, the long views are, I think, there's, there's a couple of things I think that people don't appreciate about, well, they do appreciate it, they just can't vocalize about when they're out there, is there's, you know, how all this landform, the long views, you know, the sun and everything affect you both, you know, physically and emotionally, you know, because you're kind of taking in all those senses that are out there that add to, you know, the plain experience. And it's the same thing when the golf course is coming alive. You know, you have kind of ebbs and flows and, and there's frustration, but there is a, you know, there's a real, you know, there's a real thrill when you start to see some come to lives. And long views do play, play, which I love long views. I like to see other holes. I like to see other people playing golf, you know. That, that's me personally, you know, and, uh, and I think a lot of people do. You know, it kind of adds to the experience as well. And you get to see the landforms when you've, one one key factor, and it's it's not always easy to do, but um, one thing that I try to do, and I don't think anybody accomplishes it 100%, is to whatever landforms you create in your playing corridors, they should translate to the landforms that are out, and then it feels natural to people. Then it feels like it it kind of existed and was there. That's a really hard thing to do really really hard to think because you know some sites just don't give you that you know and you got to kind of make something but i mean that's the ultimate goal is to make it feel like it was always there you know so uh, anyway but the views yeah that's that's really great you know and then you know, the air that comes with having long views and everything is really really fun too yeah i mean speaking of views that that eighth hole uh, looking down at the the pond there that's that's uh, quite the hole probably one of the I would say uh, most people on that are listening would say it's one of the top 10 holes in the state of Maine. It's a fun hole. And, you know, that, that particular location is where the, the place got its name. Because I would say to the guys or the owners, or I said, well, let's meet out at the ledges, which is there. <laughs> I mean, there were lots of ledges around, but that happened yeah. to be the place we were referring to. But, and, uh, you know, you could. You could be up there and you could kind of – yeah, I mean, you got a great sense. It was a really hard place to build. I mean, the, the owners and the contractors did a great job because it was not easy. And there were some holes that were just nothing but pure rock. Yeah. And I mean, hard ledge rock, as opposed to like, um, like the Bay Club down, down in Mattapoisett, Mass, was a lot of rock, but it was just giant boulders. And I mean, giant boulders, like three, size of time, size, three times the size of a, of a D10 or something. But you could dig a hole and push it in. The stuff that you can't that you can't push around is a little bit different. And the ledges was you know kind of carved from that, so did a pretty yeah, good I, job. I think of some of the courses in Maine that you know, like Sunday River, mm. Belgrade, Sugarloaf, and the ledges. I I gotta imagine that there's it's a lot of drama on all of those, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. But it's it's got to be challenging to not only grow the grass in the ledge, but obviously maintain it as well, right? Mm. It is. Yeah, I give those guys all the credit in the world because it does. I mean, eventually you're, you're, you know, you're going to build up, you know, a nice organic layer just from the grassing of year and year and out. But it's, it's a challenge, you know, and irrigation is, um, 
irrigation has been both the bane and the and, and the existence of golf for a while because one it's super expensive i mean it can kill budget-wise it can kill a project but um, you know in unusual sites you, you kind of have to have it but managing that and making the turf look good is i mean it takes a lot takes a lot and I, I really appreciate the superintendents that can do that yeah my uh my superintendent here at sugarloaf always jokes how uh you know, oh, all, he's got, all he's all he's doing is just growing grass on rocks yeah i mean he's yeah he's he's got his hands full no doubt so, so you uh so you go through two ledges um you've designed uh, -huh. uh spring meadows the meadows yeah, um, all also very different places. Actually, the meadows came online before the ledges. I started it after. And that was just a little course. And that was fun. It was a couple of guys who had a old family farm and entirely different. You know, very tight, very short course, um, which to me, any golf course that you can play is fun. I don't care what it is. I, I really actually love a lot of these, what I call um, old uh, colony, nine-hole colony courses that are scattered all up and down the coast. I think those are so cool. I really do. And I mean, they, they make no pretense about being anything other than what they are, but it's still fun. You're playing golf and there's something special about them. So the Meadows was, I mean, uh, they, uh, they seem to be doing all right. I guess a bunch of guys, a group bought them of the up with people group or something like that, bought that place. Uh, so that was really different. Spring Meadows were, um, were the Pollards who had, um, Cole Farms restaurant, and uh, Brad Pollard was, and David were the two primary guys, brothers, uh, and again a family farm there, and um, that had a lot of. Um, I, I, there's some nice views there, some good long views there when you get up on the hills and everything, and some real challenging holes because there was a lot of wetlands there, a lot of wetlands, and trying to work around that was uh, was good, but I, I like playing that a lot you know it's it's very very it's a very comfortable feel for me um which is you know any golf experience is fun you know that's my attitude some people don't have that attitude but i, I do i start you know I, I i you know i worked as a as an assistant pro for a while but i quite frankly i right now my, my favorite thing is to go out and play nine holes in the evening not keep score and just go find the ball you know, I think there's something magical about that, you know, so maybe that goes back to the days when I was in the shop and the only time you could get out was just before sunset, you know, so. Uh, I, I totally remember those days that we still do them. It's, uh, those fun. are, those are some great times, you know, those yeah. late five o'clock, six o'clock rounds and sun setting, yeah. you can't beat it. Yeah. And when my son was younger, going out with him that at that time was just great. You know, we each beat a couple of balls around and talk and just be out there. You know, it was, it was good. So, um, you know, we, we talked about eight, which is, you know, at ledges, which is probably one of the better holes, you know, mm -hmm. you also had a, you know, key part in the redesign at Samoset, which, you know, yeah. four, five, I think I had four and 14 as two of my top 18 holes in, in the main, in Maine. So, yeah, I mean, those are some great. Oh well, yeah. There, there's some views for you. <laughs> so, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a process there. I was, I was going up, uh, Greg Grenner is a superintendent there, a long time superintendent. And we just, you know, we'd get together and kind of knock our heads together and say, well, what can we do to make it more fun, more interesting, you know, more beautiful? 
And um, I mean, that's a great setting. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a very tight site. I have to tell you that there's not a lot of land in it. It's it, it presented a, you know, some challenges, but uh, man, the location, you, you can't get that these days. You really can't do that. You know, it's nearly impossible. So yeah, that, that was always fun. And I, I think it was like, like a 10 year period. We kept kind of tweaking this and that and bunker. And we, of course the 18th hole completely blew that up and started over and, um, you know, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. So. Tell us a little bit about Sabasco too. It's a course I've played several times. I, yeah. I love this. I love the start there. One and two. Ta- tell yeah. me about the second green too. Well, crazy. frankly, I, I, I didn't do anything there to be honest with you. Uh, oh, okay. But I did have, I had a whole redesign of the place for 18 holes, went up Merritt mountain and everything. And, and they were trying to do their best to get it going forward. Um, very interesting, though. My my life partner Betsy, when she was in college, worked there. <laughs> so, so there's some history there. And Robert Smith is a super guy. He's the owner. I think he's still the owner there. Um, uh, so, but no, I we really well. I shouldn't say we didn't do anything. I mean, we tweaked stuff around. But I had a really cool layout, 18 hole layout there. Really cool. You know, went up on the on across the street, up on the mountain, and everything, and never came about. So, that's the other thing in this business. There's some of the best stuff you're probably ever going to do is never going to get built. You know that. Yeah. You know, there's a high percentage of of I won't call it failure, but just never getting to fruition uh, happens in this business. So, um, and, and same way with major renovations, you know, and, and, or doing master planning and that kind of stuff. So there's a lot that just never happens. Um, it's kind of, kind of the nature of the business. So, and right now there isn't a whole lot going on in the business. There isn't a, you know, in this country, there's probably maybe four or five new courses, even under construction, you know, yeah. renovation here and there and that kind of stuff, but not a whole lot more. Yeah, I was gonna... fortunate that I was in it right, right in the in the boom times, you know. So um, it, it's uh, made for some good clients. Yeah, I was going to say about Sabasco. I you know I always thought you know, what it would be like as an eighteen hole course, and you I know, do you love mentioned... I, it's a cool setting too. I mean, yeah. Really is, yeah, I mean that second hole, you're right on the cove there, yep. and yeah. I mean, yeah. It's honestly, I mean, the green again, is a little crazy, but again, the, the whole you could never build these days if it were just raw land. Couldn't do it. It wouldn't be permitted. So. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, that. I mean, I I knew about some like hiking trail up on a hill. So that I'm guessing that's where the back yeah, nine. Mer- Merritt Mountain. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And then, uh, you know, quickly going back to. Uh, the Bay Club at Mattapoisett. I mean, what what a place and project that is. I mean, um, oh yeah, that was. Uh, you know, neat. we play we play the pro assistant down there. I played down oh, yeah. there last couple of years, and it, it's honestly one of my favorite courses in New England. I just, it's it's long and challenging, but it's also fair, and it it, it, it is forces fair. you to hit. It forces yeah. you to hit driver a lot, which I really enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but there's there's elbow room there intentionally, you know, because it is a private community club, you know, and it's no fun. At that time, I you know I was with Brad Faxon for several years, and uh, uh, you know Brad was involved there, but uh, at at that time, um, I kind of lost my train of thought here. But anyway, uh, oh, I know what I wanted to say. 
you know, if, if, you, if you can't find your T-ball, this game is no damn fun. <laughs> you know, it really isn't. You know? Agreed. <laughs> yeah, so that, that was kind of the, you know, the development. We kind of really battled pushing back the, you know, the land planners that wanted to have the housing right on top of it. And so there was a lot of pushback going on with that. So I'm uh, trying to get it in. And um, yeah, it, it's certainly, it's a fun course. It really is. It's playable for lots of levels and it's, it can be a challenge if you're back. Oh, there. it really is. And then, you know, I, uh, when we went down there last year, they have like, I mean, the driving range, the practice facilities, I believe Titleist is based out of there now as well. Right? Yeah. Wally Uline was instrumental. Wally is the former, you know, chair of, of, uh, of Titleist Kushnet. And uh, he was a member for a long time and he was around and instrumental in getting that all going. And uh, yeah, there were many times that Wally and I butted heads on, and we've changed it over the years. You know, when if you think you've got a perfect golf course after it's first built, you're wrong. You know, it doesn't happen. I mean, I, I very seldom see it happen anyway. And it's always good to be kind of reviewing and looking and seeing if, you know, you can make it better or you can make it more playable or you can make it more interesting or, you know, maybe there's some features you didn't see or couldn't find before, you know. So it was, uh, yeah, so that there was did a lot of changes and Wally and I would always – wander around there and I tell him he was wrong and he told me I was you know so we had so, a few so, so to that point though what about some of the other I guess renovations or additions you've done in Maine uh it looks like uh, oh, uh Kibo Valley and Webb Hannett you might yeah have a... Kibo Valley there was well you know where the uh where they used to have the racetrack in Kibo you know which was right in front of the clubhouse there used to be six holes and then there was uh, this horse race track when they first were built many many years ago and uh, that whole area was just a swamp doesn't matter you know it was just a problem so mostly i'll call that an engineering project but just trying to get that playable was just a major challenge Kibo is a very cool place you know i don't know how playing those greens on a on any consistent basis would make me crazy you know because <laughs> some of the slope on those things just aren't made for today, but they're cool. They're very, very cool. So, but Kibo was mostly in the infield there. We were trying to make that a much more playable, uh, friendly place. So um, that was Kibo was. Uh, Web Hannett, I've been, I don't know how many years, I've been going back and forth and just tweak after tweak after tweak. You know, it could just be bunkers or moving tees or changing the holes a little bit. Again, a, a course that has very limited land very limited land and actually has an interesting uh, situation where um, part of the course is below mean high tide and there's a tide gate there. So uh, that created some real drainage problems. Um, but uh, yeah, there's been some, uh, what I'll call sensitive improvements. You don't, you know, nothing that's super noticeable, but makes the playing experience better. But um you know, not trying to change the character of the course too much. That's between new and, 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 and existing courses, that is a challenge, you know. I mean, sometimes it's not worth keeping stuff, you know, if it's just really bad. And, of course, then that's something that um, is in the opinion or the eyes of the beholder. But, you know, some stuff's just not bad. But usually just trying to try not to put too much of your imprint on something like that is – you know, be sensitive to that is kind of, kind of real, I think important, you know, because it's, I mean, the quality of the club usually 
is why people are members there like to play, you know? Um, so, uh, but then again, there are some occasions where, you know, stick a dynamite doesn't hurt, you know? So, um, <laughs> uh, so what Hannah and I kept going back for years and years, I can't even tell you every little complex that was changed and everything. And the subtle changes are kind of fun. On the one hole, the, um, um, what hole is that? Let's see, 17, 16. It's a little short drivable par four, great green complex. Uh, just didn't look coming down, you know, off of, off of, off of a rise down up and then back up to the green. I don't know if you guys you know, can picture it or not. Um, but uh, we changed that completely and it is just a cutest, funnest hole. You know, what do you hit? Do you go for the driver, you hit the five iron, where are you going in, you know? And then the approach shot is really tricky because the green is kind of very undulating and severe. So, you know, the best shot is, you know, from left side fairway is the best shot in if you can have it there, depending on where the pin is. But um, that was kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, I love those, you know, short par fours where you can risk hitting driver, like 16, like uh, 12 Akibo, 10 here at Sugarloaf. You know, I love those options where you could rip driver, but, you know, if you miss, you have to miss in one spot or you have absolutely no chance of getting yeah. close. Yeah, it's, it's a three or a six, you know. That's, that's kind of the glory of it. I always said that the, the quality of a good design is, is, uh, is entirely related to the short par fours on a course. You know, so because those are the ones that really take some thought, I believe. And those are the ones that, that really challenge golfers and kind of their thought process. You know, so um, that's kind of my thinking anyway. No, I mean, I, I love your thinking and talk about fun and, you know, options. And, you know, that's what everybody wants. They want to go out and have a good time. They want to yeah. be able to play the whole couple different ways. I mean, you know, most people don't want to come up to Sugarloaf every single day and just lose golf balls, right. three putt, four putt. You know, they want to have some fun and, you know, shoot low scores. And that's what's so great is what you allow them to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I, you know, that, that opens up a, a whole new discussion about what, what the future of golf is. You know, what, what is a golf course? You know, because it really, I mean, it's 18 holes standard. It's really not a standard. You know, it was just kind of a thing that evolved. And as a matter of fact, the first open tournament was on a 12-hole course, which, um, you know, with, with land use issues and costs and permitting and that kind of stuff is what's the what's right setup? What's a good course? And I've and I'm sure you guys have had discussions, you know, what's wrong with a 12-hole course, you know, two sixes and maybe a third time around if you want 18. And I believe the USGA at one time was considering actually rating uh, 12-hole courses. And, of course, nine-hole courses, I think, are really kind of fun. You know, I mean, it's you're not taking a ton of your time out of the day, you know, and, you know, how people are managing their time is different than it used to be. So the whole future of golf, I think, of a golf course and its, its place in that, is and then adding a lot more variety to courses because you know back in the in the, you know the 80s 90s and early 2000s everybody wanted the longest the hardest the, you know and they wanted to be nobody was willing to consider anything other than that you know and if they didn't have that they you know because a lot of it was tied to real estate you know and they wanted to sell homes and they wanted the attraction of that and so um that drove that thing and i think we got away from you know a lot of 
you know, the variety that you could have and, you know, with golf. So. Well, yeah. And I, I like the direction where a lot of these courses are now coming up with par three, nine hole courses. You know, you got the cradle at Pinehurst, uh, yep. Forest Dunes just released one. Um, I know we're, we were looking at an option of uh, doing something like that just to give golfers, you know, if they want to play fast round, they can go up there. And I think it'd be a great way for golf to kind of not necessarily evolve all the way down to par three courses, but give golfers options so they can find the exact course that they want to play. Yeah. Or at that time they want to play, you know, I think that people want variety too, you know, um, it's, it, it, and the whole thing about how, uh, and you guys probably live this, you know, um, you know, how do you value your tea times and, you know, uh, and who are you, who are your customers and, um, you know, are you a private course? Are you, you know, the, the, there's a whole lot of different ideas. I know there's, um, I did the Oaks and Summersworth, New Hampshire, which is right on the border of Maine, New Hampshire. And, um, um, the owner there, is just uh, Peter Herity. Um, um, is I think a very sharp operator, you know, and he's come up with all sorts of. So he had, he owns two courses in New Hampshire, and uh, he and his group, his partners, and uh, they have some really ingenious ideas on how to operate, you know. And I think that is an important, another important aspect that doesn't have much. Well, it does have to do with quality, of course, but is how you are valuing what you're selling. You know, so that's, uh, uh, that's a whole new discussion. So uh, what's a brave new world. You know? I did, I did like how you mentioned, uh, dynamite. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I interned at, uh, Wade Hampton one summer and I actually yeah. got it. I got to meet Tom Fazio and yeah. you know, he is a, he loves dynamite and oh, I, yeah. I, oh, boy, if, he, if he can move it and if it's a good picture front from back, he's happy. You know, so that was that was the only thing I was thinking about was him and his love of dynamite. Yeah, yeah, uh, it can be very useful. I got to tell you, you know. And there's nothing more fun than having an open blast, you know, because you're out in the middle of nowhere. You don't see stuff. I mean, they put the tires all across it, but it it just the ground moves and the thing heaves up and stuff goes down. It's kind of cool, you know. I guess boys and toys scenario, you know, but uh, it was it was kind of fun. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure Faxon had some good stories for you. Oh God! He, interestingly enough, he and some partners just bought Metacomet down in Rhode Island. I don't know if you're aware of that. Yeah, I heard something in the news about that. Well, not just uh, that was this, you know, this past, recent past year. So. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, his father played. He played there a lot, even though he was um, Rhode Island Country Club. Uh, he played a lot there because his father was a member there as well. So. Um, so there was a, you know, there was a personal connection for him. And, I, and they were, I, I like a lot of people down at Metacomet. I, um, you know, in a lot of, in the business, I had a lot of friends that I got to know that were members there. But um, it was a bit of a dinosaur from the standpoint of how the club operated. It was kind of, you know, the steam room towel walking around the clubhouse type place, you know. So, <laughs> did, but, did you ever get a chance to play with Faxon? Oh, yeah. We played a number of yeah. times. 
Yeah. God, you know, we played the first time we played Bay Club together. We went off the first hole and he hits his driver about 30 yards offline into the woods up by the houses. <laughs> you know, and he hits the next and he's doing that for a couple of times. And we get done and he's, he's uh, he shot 67. I thought, well, how, where did that come from? You know, so, oh my God. You know, but he did. He's, he's pretty amazing around the, around the greens and stuff. You know? And, um, and he's, he's, He's doing what he wants right now with TV. I mean, that's that's really he's do does a great job there. So, and I think that fits his personality very well. Really nice guy, really yeah. super guy. You know, we had a lot of fun. So, well, we Brad, played I, Comet together and played Rhode Island Country Club together, and um, we came up and played the Ledges. So, you know, we we played a number of times together. So, yeah, um, I think he's not always he's, successful for me. But <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> But, uh, I think, and he's an honorary member, I believe, down at, at uh, Old Marsh, Old oh. Marsh Country Club yeah, in right. Florida, where I I caddied right. for a couple of years, and he used yeah. to come down and play there. But um, yeah, great he, guy. But he's a member of Pine Valley. I, I, I'm so mad. He called me one time, and he says, "Hey, can you pack your bags tonight? We can go down to Pine Valley." And I couldn't. So I just could oh, not no. come. And I'm like, "Oh my God, <laughs> dare you?" You know. So anyway. But so Brad, we. We have a uh, a wicked fire section, okay? Oh, Just a few wicked quick fire, questions. Okay. Yeah, here All we right. go. Right. We'll so your uh, your favorite three course designs outside of your own. Holy crap! Um, <laughs> in New England and Maine, and where where do you oh, want them? Wherever you want, wherever you've been, wherever uh, you've played. Marion. Uh, which is, I like a lot. Um, where have I had the most fun? This is a really tough one, guys. For me, I, I never, because I think of my golf courses kind of, you know, it's a children type thing. You don't, you like them all. You know, you can't. Yeah. can't uh, I had a great fun. I, I like playing Web Hanna, by the way. I have a good time playing Web Hanna a lot. Um, I got to tell you something funny. There's a little course in Blue Hill, Maine. Blue Hill Country Club. I've done some work there, and it's it's uh, 2,100 yards long, all on the water. The holes play across each other. Marginally conditioned. Man, I had a ball playing there. Yeah. Absolute ball, you know. It was just so. It's just an unusual. That's one of those unusual things that I like about it. And that's an old, you know, an old colony course up in Blue Hill, right on the bay. And that was fun too so i like the samoset i do like the ledges i like the oaks I mean, i'm kind of going on my own sorry about that so um oh, marion marion is definitely a good one I, yeah marion's a good I'm one glad you there's a good that one, one out there yeah all right how um what is your favorite hole at the ledges that you uh you put into place there i like number two short part four Oh, okay. Green, green gets you, I'll tell you. If you're above the hole, you just pick the ball up yeah. and go to the next tee, you know? So uh, they yeah. had a they had a tournament there, a, a club event. I hold out for Eagle for a skin. Did you? Oh, oh man, that was God. a good one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were jumping all around. Seventeens are, are quite a challenge. I never played that one well ever. So that, that was a that's a tough one. So you can blame the architect. Know. What's that? You, you can blame the designer. You know, just because you design it doesn't mean you can play it. Let me tell you. <laughs> so, 
And as I get older, I can't right. tell you at all. So what's the difference? Yeah, so. All right, Brad, if you were to design a golf course best suited for your game, would every hole be straight, a dog like left, a dog like right, or would you have a mix? Well, since my driver goes left and right, <laughs> so I, I, I like a mix. I'll tell you my, what my ideal course would be, an old sand and gravel pit that you go in and all you do is you make your grass all your playing areas the same, you mow the tees the same, and then just have the greens, and then all the sand and crap comes in and out wherever you want it. That would be, to me, an ideal golf course. Um, okay, when, and when you're up in Maine, what's your, uh, what's your pit stop? Where are you stopping to, to grab some food? Grab some food? Well, I, I, you know, I moved to Portland um, a few years ago. I got a lot of good restaurants in Portland. Um, and then I'm up in Lincolnville right now, which is a Camden area. That's my favorite one. I like, I like food. So this is a tough choice. Um, long grain Camden. Long grain. Okay. Yeah. And it's probably exactly. we, gotta add, we gotta add long grain and blue hill to our, our oh, bucket God, list. Yeah. Okay. Blue, just blue hill. Just go have fun. Just take three clubs. <laughs> Three clubs, that's all you need. So Brad, you very cute. Uh, they actually have a really lovely clubhouse there. And I think it's you know, people are only there from July till August, you know. So Yeah. Have and they you have played Clinton? What? Have you played Clinton? No, I've heard about it. I but I have not, you know. Yeah. I've heard things. Wasn't that some fellow did it on his own or something like that? Or am I getting the story wrong? I don't know. No, I believe so. I yeah, I yeah. We'll have to get him on the podcast, but uh, it's yeah. a great little nine-hole course, and um, I don't know if they've changed how the, the setup works, but usually uh, you'd go up there, walk nine, and yeah. stop in for lunch. They'd give you a sandwich and snacks and all that good stuff, so it's a cool they place. Give you, they give you that? It's included in, well, at least last time I played it, it was included wow. in the green fee. Oh, very cool. Yeah, very cool, cool spot. Definitely worth the trip. Yeah. See, I'm telling you, there's all sorts of fun golf to be had, all different things, you know. I mean, you're so right on the, you know, the little nine-hole tracks along the coast. I mean, there's so many good ones, and, you know, they're just overlooked because, you know, everybody wants to go play the big names. But, I mean, there's some great yeah. ones. McGuntacook, you know, that's a, that's a gem of an old-style course right there, you know. I don't know if you've even played there or not, but you should look it up, so – yeah, I, I, and wasn't Blue Hill, and I could be wrong, wasn't Blue Hill like a Donald Ross way back in the day original? Well, uh, yeah, he might have he might have been a mail-in one. You know how that worked with him back then. He's, there were different levels, and, uh, you know, and he had a bunch of apprentices, and, they, and a lot of them layouts were done where, you know, the, the owners would send them, the, you know, the the base plan and he'd root it out and they'd come back and he never saw the site, you know, so there's a, some mail in ones like that. Um, and, and, and I think a lot are, I, I don't, they're, as far as I know, blue hell had some connection with him, but, um, uh, but that, but that, it was an interesting time. I mean, he couldn't physically have designed as many as he did in that, just couldn't do it. You know, there's, so, um, yeah, so the mail in ones was, uh, were, um, you know, um, 
a number of them around, which not saying they're bad. They could be perfectly good, but it was left to interpretation. And some, I mean, there's some guys that probably had a root plan and made it better. You know, that's, uh, that's the whole creative thing. Nothing's really wrong entirely. <laughs> there are a few things maybe. <laughs> it's like the, uh, the story about Augusta Country Club. Henry and I talked about it, you know, yeah. the one, you know, Augusta Country Club in Maine, not yep. in yeah. Georgia, where there's discussion that it actually might not have even been Donald Ross that designed ACC up here, but it was actually his work down in Georgia that they just got mixed up with the initials for the, uh, the state. <laughs> Yeah, 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 could be, could be. Well, he does, I, li I like Ross very much. Um, uh, Wayne Stiles does, did a lot in Maine, a lot of good ones in Maine. Um, Wilson Lake's a good one, you know, for nine-hole course. Um, he has some of the most interesting green complexes, I think. Um, they're hard by today's standards because there is a lot of movement and everything on, but he... Uh, did a lot of, you know, it was Styles Van Cleet, and Van Cleet was more in New York, and, and Styles was more in Boston, and uh, I think he'd done uh, a lot. I believe he did Prout's Neck as well. I think he did. Yeah. My memory serves me right, so. Uh, so he's got some, uh, you know, cool locations for greens and, you know, the shapes of them. So. And those well, are fun. And even, you know, you mentioned Cornish earlier in the uh, the episode. I mean, he's designed... Yeah. I mean, a hand, you can't even count on, you know, both hands, how many in Maine alone, let alone or he was New all England. Over. Yeah, he was all over. And Jeff's theory was, um, you know, he did a lot of, lot of projects for, I don't want to call them low budget, but for, you know, value. Um, and, and that was his thing. You know, he did, he did uh, a, made golf accessible, far more accessible than it was um, and did some really great work. Uh, and one of the truest gentlemen I've ever met, um, just a really super guy, really super guy. Well, Brad, we, we really appreciate you coming on. And uh, My pleasure. I, this was awesome. It was almost like a little bit of a history lesson and hearing about all these courses and, and what you've done for, for the game in, in Maine and across New England, uh, some great tracks. We really appreciate that. Well, I appreciate what you guys are doing. It's long overdue kind of, you know, communicating about Maine golf, I think is worthwhile. A lot of good golf in Maine, it really is. Yeah, we're hoping to get some more people up here to enjoy it as well. So yeah. uh, for our listeners at home, uh, where can they reach you if they want to find out more about some of your designs? Uh, boothgolf.com. It's the easiest way to find me. Well, there we go. Well, Brad, thanks again for coming on. We really appreciate it. Guys, thank you. Good luck with everything. Thanks. And you can find us at Maine Golf Talk on Instagram and Facebook. And if you're on iTunes, we sincerely appreciate any reviews you can offer. And this has been another episode of Maine Golf Talk.